Welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 202, entitled Adrift. This is the 26th overall episode of Lost, and there are 95 to go. First, a bit of listener feedback. Op Kill on iTunes uh, left the following review. He said, or she said, uh, best ever, five stars. I went on to say, Matt is an amazing guy. I could not put my iPod touch down after listening to his podcasts. I listen to all the episodes and enjoy them. I mean, a fellow Jack hater is always good in my book. I finished the podcasts and I was surprised because there was no new podcast. Matt, keep up the good work. Love the show. Lost forever. So thank you very, very much for those kind words on iTunes. Uh, of course, reviews on iTunes are always appreciated. And uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, enjoyable as well as a little flattering to uh to always see what uh some listeners take the time to say so thank you very very much with that let's move on to the wikipedia summary for this episode read by super fan of the show bonnie in the flashbacks michael struggles with his ex-girlfriend susan who has asked michael to sign away his paternal rights to their son walt though michael initially resists Suing in order to keep his custody, he eventually relents as Susan persuades him to doubt his own motivations and whether he is pursuing his own desires rather than Walt's best interests. Off the coast of the island, Michael surfaces in the ocean after the raft was attacked by the others. He decides to rescue Michael first rather than Jin. Michael wakes up and blames Sawyer for making him fire the flare, drawing their attackers to them. Shortly after, the two notice a shark is encircling them. Michael believes the shark was attracted to Sawyer's bleeding wound and the two have continuous arguments. After they see one of the raft's pontoons, they decide to board it. Sawyer swims to the pontoon, giving Michael his gun in case the shark appears. When it does, Michael fires several times, apparently injuring the shark. Michael then joins Sawyer on the pontoon, and when morning breaks, Michael is crying, realizing that he should not have brought Walt with him on the raft and blames himself for his son's kidnapping. At this point, Sawyer notices they are back near the island. When they wash ashore, they meet Jin running towards them, hands tied behind his back, shouting the word, Others! and fleeing a group holding him captive. Back at camp, after Kate disappears into the hatch, Locke descends as well and finds her unconscious in the computer room. An armed Desmond walks up behind them and asks Locke if he is him. Locke at first claims to be the person whom Desmond is seeking, but fails to correctly answer a riddle he poses. This failure prompts Desmond to round up the two and orders Kate to tie up Locke. However, Locke convinces Desmond that Kate be tied up instead. Desmond agrees, and Locke slides her a knife before locking her in a dark room. Kate frees herself and finds she's in a large pantry filled with foodstuffs all in boxes bearing a strange marking. Kate stuffs her pockets with candy bars and climbs into a ventilation shaft. 
The plot line converges to the same point at the end of the previous episode, Man of Science, Man of Faith. An alarm klaxon begins to sound. Desmond walks Locke at gunpoint to the computer terminal and forces him to enter the numbers, which resets a 108-minute timer. Soon after, Desmond detects Jack and after channeling him into the computer room, forces Locke to greet Jack as seen in the previous episode. Thank you very, very much for that, Bonnie. It uh, was wonderful to have her send that in. She had, uh, well, as you know, she emails me uh, fairly often, and we chat about Lost and other things, but uh, she had uh, submitted this through the uh, the voicemail number that I've set up. Uh, so anyone who is interested in sharing any feedback, uh, the number is 732-707-1815. And uh, if you'd like to read an episode summary, you certainly can email me, and I'll be in touch about that. Anyhow, let's now properly get into this uh, episode. Uh, I did notice that the previously on Lost segment is a whopping two minutes long. I guess this is to bring new viewers up to speed. Uh, I mean, certainly it's uh, you know it's a bunch of uh, of clips from the season finale and from the previous episode. So yeah, I guess they're just uh, hedging their bet and trying to to encourage those new uh, those new viewers. Uh, the episode proper opens with darkness and splashing. Uh, I mean, literally, that's it. You don't see anything. It's just the black screen and splashing. Then Sawyer coming to the surface of the water. Uh, It is a flashback of sorts, of course, given that we have the audio of Walt screaming for his dad and Michael screaming, Walt! Um, There's just this wonderful chaotic energy to the opening, though. There's lots of quick cuts, shots that appear to be quickly framed. Uh, It really captures the energy of uh, of the scene nicely. Then some of the delicious frustration of this episode really starts to show itself. We see Locke outside the hatch, having just lost Kate. Uh, it's an episode whose main story, Jack, Kate, Locke, and the hatch, uh, is in a flashback from another point of view, essentially. Um, which really is a neat, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a neat uh, little trick that they're using here to, to show you events from last week that were so... Uh, so dramatic and also, you know, confusing to a certain degree because we, you know, we follow Jack down the uh, down the hatch, and we're we're not quite sure what's happened to Kate, what's what's happened to Locke, etc. Um, you know, it's neat to kind of show those things from this different point of view. Um, and indeed, the the, the frustration of this, um, because of course the the main story, you know, it it doesn't advance uh, into any new territory. I mean, we see new things from different angles, of course, but. Chronologically, we don't move past uh, Jack uh, recognizing Desmond at the end of this episode, just like in last week's episode. And the music seems to echo this. It's the normal lost dirge, you know, but slower, kind of like a slow realization that this is going to be a sort uh, a different sort of episode. Um, but anyhow, we then go back to the Michael and Sawyer story. We see that Michael isn't dead, and then we head into a flashback. Uh, Michael gives us a sense of time. It's post-accident. We see him uh, uh, with the cane, and uh, I believe still a bit scratched up. And the visuals give us a place. Out of the windows, we see the Twin Towers. As frustrating as some flashbacks can be, particularly looking ahead to the largely useless ones in the third season, this flashback works. It absolutely works. Michael wanting to keep hold of his son, despite Susan and Brian, who are, of course, uh, Walt's mother and her boyfriend, respectively, so, you know, they have a plan for Walt, Brian and, and uh, Susan do. Meanwhile, Michael wants to hold on to him. This is contrasted by the fact that Walt has been taken by the others who have some sort of plan for Walt. 
And uh, it's complemented by the fact that uh, Michael wants to keep his son in that uh, on-island story as well. By the way, as a quick production note, as the lawyer is talking to Michael, there's a shot of Michael, the lights, which are meant to be the, the sunlight, you know, the actual uh, you know, incandescent lights uh, that are making the scene visible, not the, the table lamp or this sort of thing, they flicker for a moment. It is very noticeable. And I just wonder why they went with that take. Uh, I mean, surely they must have, I mean, well, I say surely they must have shot that particular scene uh, and that coverage of Michael more than once. Perhaps they didn't. Perhaps that's why. But I mean, it really is a case where, you know, it looks as, as though the sun is flickering for a moment, which uh, is odd indeed because it doesn't do that. Um, the flashback ends a bit on the nose. Michael's saying they're not taking my son away. Uh, then back to the raft with, wait for it, the son having been taken away. As I say, a bit on the nose. I mean, we don't need to be quite that cute in my book. Um, anyhow, with that, the episode takes us back to the hatch. Locke reaches the bottom. Uh, there's a wonderful bit in the soundtrack where a stringed instrument, perhaps a cello, uh, is playing very lowly. Uh, it could be mistaken for the hum of all that stuff down there, you know, the electromagnetism or the, the machinery or the, you know, the, the inner guts that we don't certainly haven't seen in this episode. Um, but it is coming from the music nonetheless, and it really adds to the flavor of the scene. It just adds some kind of otherworldly uh, uh, quality to it. I know that uh, oftentimes the uh, the cello, uh, you know, it said the cello uh, in its musical range, it mimics the uh, mimics the human voice. Uh, and I hope I'm not ripping off that fact from the uh, wonderful Keys to Lost podcast. Uh, so if I am, my apologies to. Uh, it's host Matt, but anyhow, it's to, to have the cello there, uh, which sounds so much like the human voice, but to have it speaking uh, in this otherworldly way, in this low pulsing, almost mechanical way, it's it, it, as I say, it just adds to the flavor of the scene, certainly. Um, but anyhow, then it, you know, at this point in the episode, after Locke has walked a bit in the hatch, there it is for the very first time, well lit and clearly seen the Dharma logo for this station. We didn't know that it was the Swan logo at the time, you know, a, a logo unique to this station in many ways. We didn't know what Dharma was. Uh, but, I mean, it's, you know, thus begins the great mystery of this season. Um, and, I mean, too, I mean, we're meant to really, uh, we're meant to really take this in. I mean, the way, it, it's kind of, almost overlit it the camera lingers almost on it too much and it, it, it's neither of those things in reality but they just approach that moment so unlike the glimpse of the the dharma logo on the shark later in the episode the, the darn shark as you'll hear me talk about but you know or unlike many other clues this one you're meant to sit and be able to see it at full speed which is to say without pausing and if you do want to pause then you're given a nice wide window where you don't need to you know, have any special software or be really careful with that pause button. It's just there it is in its glory, well lit, well seen. Take it in because this is this is the big mystery of the, the season, as I said. Um, anyhow, Locke continues to creep along through the hatch. Uh, and it really is such an amazing, amazing set, uh, despite the fact that it's all familiar from last time. Um, the camera work goes from wider shots uh, which are letting us see the these corners and see uh, uh, see the uh, the mural and, and the sort of thing. It goes from these wider shots to claustrophobic close-ups, and then Locke finds Kate, and then Desmond finds Locke. 
Desmond, of course, is pointing that gun at Locke and asks, are you him? Uh, which, of course, is kind of a completely confusing question. Uh, but, and it being completely confusing, that's as good a time as any to go to another scene elsewhere. So we then get taken to see Sawyer and Michael on that uh, small little corner of the, the, the leftover raft. I'll just refer to it as the raft at this point. But, of course, it's just that little, you know, smallest of uh, corners, just big enough for the two to float along on. Uh, it's a very well-lit scene, and what appear to be stars are reflecting in the water, and the light used uh, to light the actors also illuminates the water under them, showing that this is probably really out in the ocean. Um, I mean, it, that establishing shot lasts perhaps for two seconds or whatever, but it really is really nicely well done. Um, now, you know, why, why are they lighting underneath the raft? There's two reasons. A as I proposed, you know, as I just said, to really sell the fact that they're out somewhere. They're out in real water. It's not, you know, the, the dunk tank uh, in the studio parking lot or whatever. The second reason, it is, of course, because we're heading towards the scariest thing ever in Lost. I hate sharks. I'm convinced that I will die from a shark one day. That's how much I hate them. The minute that that raft started to break up, when I first viewed this episode, Back in 2000, 2005, I knew that a shark was coming. I, I just knew it. And it's, it's uh, supported further when something from under the raft is pushing up, right? Versus kind of this rocking or whatever. And then you actually, you get this sense that something is pushing up from underneath. Uh, they then close out the act of the episode with a long shot. Back to kind of yeah, at that angle I was speaking about before, kind of to, to establish uh, the raft and uh, where it is in relation to the, the water around it. So you have this shot again, long shot of the dark shark swimming past that lit uh, uh, lit area underneath the raft. Now, when I first watched this episode in 2005, and I was watching it with family, I was the, I was the only one who noticed it. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it's not. You know, unlike, say, the Dharma logo, which, you know, if you're not paying completely attention, can go right by you, the shark you're clearly meant to see. And for me, it is terrifying. I actually had to stop re-watching while I was taking these notes and just calm down a bit. I mean, I'm not a shark fan. Anyhow, luckily, though, so we head to commercial break. And what does Lost always do, right? You, you end on one tense moment, you go to commercial, you're going to come back at something much slower, much less interesting. Usually it's, you know, uh, you know, some kind of somebody saying, you know, the bomb's going to explode and they go to commercial and they come back and it's a flashback of somebody, you know, eating a ham sandwich or something. This time, no, I had to stop it again because I really hate sharks and we're back on the raft with the shark out there. I wanted to skip past that scene to be completely honest, but for you, dear listeners, I didn't. Um, Sawyer, of course, is he's trying to load the gun, and he drops the bullets, and he puts his hand into the water. That's crazy. There's a shark out there. Why doesn't he share my fear? And then, bleeding Sawyer gets onto a smaller piece of raft. This really is the scariest episode ever. It's just, it's terribly upsetting. He's bleeding into the water, bleeding fresh, you know, 98.6 human blood. And for those of you out there interested in in Sawyer's a beefcake. It's beefcake blood into the water. I know the shark is interested in it. And ah, anyhow, thankfully at that point, finally, they go to flashback. And it's the most boring of places it could possibly be for flashback. Lawyers. 
Not that the scene is boring, mind you. They just, maybe they were doing me a favor. I don't know. Michael's meeting with all the lawyers. The room is the same room where Claire signed away her baby. Uh, This is, of course, a coincidence since he's in New York and Claire was in Sydney. Uh, They're just choosing to reuse uh, the location. I wonder if they would have made the same choice to reuse a location like that, um, intentionally reuse it uh, in later seasons. You might say, why later seasons? Well, certainly they knew how rabid Lost fans were, which I think is part of the reason why they uh, you know, created the whole construct of Dharma and the button in the hatch. Because, I mean, not to not to denigrate the show much because I mean, all, you know, all drama works with, you know, delaying the answer, right? If, you know, if the wizard of Oz was, uh, you know, if the house, if Dorothy's house landed at, uh, the Emerald city, she would have gotten out, you know, and there she is in, you know, the, 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 the square inside Emerald city. Uh, she would have said, gee whiz, I need to get home. And the wizard would have said, you know, all right, here you go. Here's a, here's the balloon up and away we go the end. Right. So all drama works this way, but, I mean, the function of the hatch and the function of Dharma in season two really is just meant to be something for you to chew over in season two. It really is them taking, them realizing from season one, you know, boy, fans really, you know, they've really eat it up when uh, Michael's in the airport on the phone talking to his mother about helping out with Walt and Locke gets wheeled by. That's it. There's no more whatever. Just Locke gets wheeled by. People really eat this up. So they create Dharma in the hatch to de- essentially to delay the conversation where somebody says hey we crashed 44 days ago and instead of what happens this as this episode where desmond kind of says huh and doesn't address it you know it's only at the end of the season where desmond says oh 44 days ago huh well let me tell you something i didn't push the button that day i didn't push this thing over here and there was this you know weird you know system failure thing and uh Hey, look, I have this printout that says that exactly at the time you crashed uh, is when this happened. So there you go. That's why the plane crashed. Anyhow, we don't have that conversation until the end of the season because of the hatch and the mysteries of the hatch and Desmond leaving the hatch and P- Losties being in the hatch and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But um, oh, that ended up being quite a rant there. Anyhow, post the second season where there's screen grabs and where there's hints of uh you know isn't there uh uh doesn't the balloon the the henry gale balloon doesn't that say widmore somewhere on it or perhaps it's you know it's it's not visible unless you have widescreen or not visible unless you have hd or they meant it to be visible or i think there's a, a flashback it might be season three but somewhere along the way there's a Oh, is it a Charlie flashback where uh, it, on the official Lost podcast, uh, Lindelof and Cuse had said, look out this week, there's going to be a big uh, clue, and it was meant to be a um, a Widmore uh, billboard, but the effects department didn't get it right, so you couldn't see, you know, this sort of thing. Knowing how, let me wrap up this point here, knowing how rabid we would get over all this stuff and how there'd be all these internet discussions and whatnot, I think that the show then started to say, Let's avoid intentional coincidences that that don't work. Which is say, fine, if you want to have, you know, coincidence where Hurley owns Locks Box Company, okay. Well that's that's you know, that's just life. That's just the smallness of life. However, and to get back to this episode and to get back to this particular uh scene, 
to have uh, Michael and his lawyers in the exact same room, the same recognizable room with a, a, a long conference table with a, a shiny, perhaps glass surface to it. And, uh, you know, kind of, a, you know, a cream colored wall. I mean, it's very, you know, it, it sticks out in the mind, if only because, you know, it, in the Claire episode, it was this incredibly heartfelt and, and iconic moment where a prospective mother is preparing to sign away her child, her unborn child. Um, and then, you know, the pens don't work. And it's this whole question in her mind and obviously in the larger uh, discussion of the episode you know is it fate is something intervening is it luck is it, you know whatever it is i mean that it, it kind of captures this moment in life of um these little twists that take that you know, that, that, that life takes how do you you know is there some purpose to it blah, blah 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 it's such an iconic room that to stick michael and his lawyers in there it just is going to lead to confusion of people that was a lengthy lengthy rant indeed but uh well there you go Anyhow, let's let's finish up this particular scene here. Actually, to discuss the scene, all I have to say is it's a standard enough scene. Michael doesn't know the basics about Walt, but still affirms his right to be Walt's father. So, if for nothing else, that just goes to show you why they need to be careful in, in choosing some of these locations. If the connection works well, i.e. they go back to use the same uh, real life, what I'm assuming is a real life location for uh, the operating room uh, where uh, Jack fixed Sarah appears to be the same as where uh, Christian killed the, the pregnant woman. You know, when it works, it works. If it doesn't, if you're sitting here having a lengthy discussion in 2005, or when you when we are you know having this discussion now on the podcast about the nature of a room and the only purpose of that room is to have a boilerplate enough scene of Walt saying, yeah, I don't really know the first time he walked or the, what his first word was, but I am his father. I have a right to him. When the, the simple nobility of that dialogue is overrun by the location, then you probably should have made a different choice. Now, for those of you not interested in discussing for another 25 minutes the nature of that room, let's move on. The tension back on the raft as we end the flashback is only increased. Sawyer bleeding. He's thinking of pulling the bolt out himself. And his feet are in the darned water. I mean, hasn't he seen Jaws? You know, that opening scene where she's being pulled down from below. Why are his feet in the water? It's just, ah. Anyhow, um, but he goes after that bullet. He screams and cries out. and He digs that bullet out with his bare hands, um, which I suppose is the manly thing to do. It just leads to more blood everywhere. Leads to the shark being more aware of him. Anyhow, we get to take a break from the terrible shark story. We shift back to the hatch with some vague dialogue as Locke tries to play along with that question Desmond asked, are you him? Here I am. She's with me. What did one snowman say to the other snowman? I don't know what you're talking about. Get rid of the knife. You know him. We didn't come here to hurt you. Yeah? Then why did you come? We were in a plane crash. Where are you now? And when was that? 
44 days ago. 44 days. So there you go. There is proof, early proof, that the show has a plan. Desmond seems to recognize that something happened 44 days ago. He, you know, here he is not just uh, digesting it, but repeating it 44 days. Uh, It's, you know, it's just tipping their hand ever so slightly that we're going to learn at the end of the season that 44 days ago, Desmond's uh, inability to push the button on time uh, led to uh, to the plane crash. Uh, at that point, the scene just sparkles as as Locke tricks Desmond into tying up Kate and not and not Locke, and Locke slips Kate a knife. Um, the downside of that whole plan is that Kate is then sent into a completely dark room. Uh, the show goes to commercial and returns with Jack and Hurley at the caves, uh, and it's just standard enough, you know. Hurley saying, "You're going to go after them," and Jack says, "Yep, I'm going to I'm going to go after them." Uh, the bonus of that, though, is that we get some uh, Charlie and Claire time. By the way, this clip also includes uh, baby Aaron, who, for some reason, as the clip starts, it sounds a bit strange. But anyhow, here we go. What do you suppose all that's about? I reckon Jack's going to do something heroic. What? You always try to be funny when you don't want to answer a question. Try to be funny? What's this? <laughs> oh, found it in the jungle. You found it? Yeah. Be careful. Oh, be careful with it. Here. Hey, take care. There you go. Be careful with it, yes. It's the Virgin Mary. She's holy. Didn't realize you were so religious. <laughs> I'm not. It's just, you know, it might come in handy. The real duplicity of that scene, of course, is that Charlie would rather hold the Virgin Mary statue filled with heroin than hold Aaron, somebody who he's, uh, you know, who, for whose uh, birth he was present. Uh, you know, and Charlie certainly has has uh, tried to set himself up as the the de facto. Uh, father figure for Aaron, the de facto husband figure for Claire. And, uh, you know, I mean, it starts off funny enough with, you know, Jack's going to go off and save the day. It's some kind of, you know, cute meta commenting on the different, uh, you know, kind of class levels of the show. You kind of have your, the actiony ones who go out, as I said, uh, an episode or two ago, you have the, you know, the actiony bunch, the uh, Kate, Jack, Sawyer uh, bunch, you know, among others. And you kind of have the, second class supporting characters the the sons and the clares and this sort of thing and then you know the lowest of the low you have the the red shirt extras that uh that arts uh you know speak so mournfully about but you know so anyhow it starts out cute but then it's just this you know it's this really kind of dark and duplicitous uh bit with the 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 heroin heroin mary if you want to call it that um, and, you know, and it's delivered with, uh, you know, Charlie having a smile the entire time. So anyhow, we, uh, we move on, we return to Sawyer and Michael and, uh, in a, in a rare moment of candor for the show, we actually get some clear discussion. Um, and it's not even necessarily recap, although in a certain sense it is, but it's just kind of a clear, you know, we want to really make the audience aware of something. So take a listen. I said it wasn't the flare. Those people did this 
first I thought they were fishermen or pirates or something. And I got a good look at those boats. You know anything about boats, Mike? A boat like that wasn't built for the open ocean. Water's coming over the side, first little squall. I mean, we got a range of 100 miles. A boat like that had to left port from somewhere close. Like the island. Prince Chick said the others were coming for the kid. I think they came, Mike. What? He's the one they wanted. Why, I got a bullet in my shoulder. Hell, Bluebeard blew us up because they wanted your kid. And uh, if you heard any uh, fantastic, uh, very faint, uh, kind of metallic percussion in the background, and you're wondering what uh, brilliant choice Michael Giacchino made, uh, that actually was uh, my neighbor a few houses down who was raking. And uh, as the clip was recording, I was saying, oh, no, I hope, hope it doesn't get picked up. And it's very faintly there. So my apologies for a uh, production flaw. But anyhow, um, yeah, so that clip, you know, just gives us some some clear discussion and direction. Uh, you know, it's it's the show saying, you know, just keep your heads on straight. This is the this is the plan here. Um and then after that clip, the scene once again becomes about that darn shark. I mean, at least it's about the shark in my book anyway. Um, you know, there's, there's the idea in literature of Chekhov's gun, which essentially is this. You know, the, the writer Antonin Chekhov said, if you're going to put a gun in uh, the, beginning of the uh, beginning of a play, then you must fire it by the end. Otherwise, you know, don't, don't mention the gun. Don't, don't, you know, don't have it there. Same thing with the shark. I mean, it's not just going to kind of rattle their cages a little bit. There's the expectation that there's going to be some sort of uh, closure to it. And this, you know, this, this shark tension is interrupted by a flashback uh, with Walt's mother talking to Michael about letting go of Walt. Um, in the olden days, which is to say, you know, when these episodes were new, uh, I think that we would have focused on the flashback dialogue, how it's character shading. Um, now it's just abundantly clear that that particular flashback scene exists to be a counterpoint to Michael's loss on the raft. It's him starting to let go of his son, uh, uh, you know, as part of this uh, suit going on with Susan. And meanwhile, on the uh, on the raft, he has to accept, uh, at least in the short term, the loss of his son. Um, and despite me at this point in the episode still thinking about the shark, they decided to extend the tension by showing Kate in her lock, locked dark room. Uh, conveniently, despite the fact that it is quote unquote completely dark, it's uh, you know kind of TV dark, which is that it has enough light to you know see the actress, see how she's trying to get the knife out, how she's got her bound hands up and over her uh, her feet, etc. Um, she uh, conveniently enough, it has. Uh, light switch as well um and when she turns around of course as we know it's that cornucopia of dharma drops uh, i was able to see sausage nuts apple cider peanut butter candy crackers uh it's all visible in the background uh and in fact i mean you can notice the peanut butter by you know the peanut the the, the color of the peanut butter in the in, in a clear container and the the green kind of uh you know, skippy top to it. It's actually one of the things that's not labeled, but it's uh, the peanut butter itself is very close to the center of the screen. Uh, it's also kind of close to the action. I think uh, when Kate is uh, maybe it's a shelf beneath uh, the candy bars that Kate grabs or whatever. But uh, you know, it's just kind of a nice 
thing. I wonder if the script said, you know, to make the peanut butter, uh, you know, maybe unlabeled but kind of prominent enough so that in uh, however many episodes it is when that peanut butter finally makes its way to Claire that, uh, you know, we're able to have that, uh, you know, the closure of that moment from from season one about peanut butter. But anyhow, um, about at that point in the episode, you you hear the timer countdown and Hearing that timer countdown, I'm reminded of finding out what the sound designers used. And I don't remember where I first heard this, but the next time you're at the supermarket, listen to the beep when you scan food. That's the beep of the timer counting down, that kind of you know warning that you have uh, only so many minutes left. Um, and then we also have the introduction at last of the button. Right, listen carefully. Type in exactly what I tell you. You understand exactly. Nothing else. Four. Eight. Fifteen. Did you hear that? What? What did you just put in? What number did you just put in? Fifteen. Right. Sixteen. Twenty-three. Forty-two. Press execute. Not such a great scene, uh, if only for its uh, almost reverential quality, at least uh, in Lost Circles. You know, the first time that we're seeing the button in action, first time that we're seeing the the timer in action, the timer reset, the old computer, uh, which Locke, of course, uh, you know, he, he notes its age, um, which, uh, you know, for, for the eagle-eyed who noticed the newer washer and dryer just kind of, uh, uh, you know, only adds to kind of the mystery of what is this place, how long is that, has it been around, etc., um, of course, as Jack enters, uh, the story from last week merges with this one, and it really is just great to see how the two bits are edited together. Uh, and, and kudos to the show for using the same endpoint too. Jack uh, shocked to recognize Desmond. Um, this time, though, it doesn't end the show uh, or even the act. Um, but still, it's. I mean, I, I know it frustrated a, a lot of people, but to me, it's this. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's this intentionally artful decision to basically kind of have, you know, the hatch served up, served up two ways um, and still get you to the same point, um, the same point that you waited all those months for in the in the course of the uh, the summer break. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know, to me it's, it's uh, part of the joyful frustration that is this season where they just really, really draw these mysteries out to, to perfection. But... Um, as I say, we don't we don't end the show with that scene. We don't end the act. We return to Michael and Sawyer out on the raft. And of course, did I mention that there's the shark out there? Stop having it. Hey, stop it. You're putting a strain on the vines. It's going to break us up. Damn it, you're gonna hit. I'm going for the pontoon. 
it. It's just an incredibly tense scene. After the raft splits apart, there's maybe 20 feet between them and one of the pontoons. Uh, the underwater shot, essentially it's a point of view uh, shot from the shark uh, looking up at uh, Sawyer's, uh, Sawyer's legs, uh, its prospective dinner. Um, and it tells us that the shark is out there. Uh, that Dharma logo on its, uh, on its tail, it's barely visible. But you know, believe me when I say I saw that the first time the episode aired and it you know, that warranted uh, rewinding and pausing and uh, trying to decipher what in the world was going on and racing online the next day to see what other people thought. Um, I mean, it's just a, an awfully scary scene, um, although actually some of the behind-the-scenes stuff is worse. Um, apparently they had a fiberglass shark, you know, full-size fiberglass shark in the water. Um, I guess it mustn't have looked good at all, uh, or they, they would have used it more. Um, you know, for all the genuine tension and fear that I felt with uh, them, uh, you know, teasing the notion of the shark when it actually does show up to get Sawyer, you know, you just see a mere fin appear. Um, and then, you know, when Michael's firing, I think there's, you know, there's a bit of gray body that you see, but it's mostly just blood quickly shooting up. They, they you know, they, they seem to cut away quickly from it. So, Personally, I kind of sniff the I sniff the the scent of a scene that didn't work that needed to be fixed in editing. That you got a bunch of footage of a fake fiberglass shark that maybe was going too slow or whatever, whatever. It didn't look right, and the solution was, you know, quick shots, emotion on the actors who you could control, who you could say yell louder, you know, uh, scream more, this sort of thing. Um, put a little, you know, blood in the air end the scene by going to commercial um where you don't know you know how did the shark uh, get sawyer did michael shoot sawyer you know whatever it is just kind of end with that tension and let the let the let the shark that i assume did not work uh, you know don't show it didn't work but anyhow uh after the act break we wrap up with uh pardon me we wrap up the michael story with uh, little walt saying goodbye to michael uh because of course uh the, uh, you know, Michael's allowing Susan and uh, and Walt to to head off. Michael gives Walt a polar bear. You know, ha ha. Uh, it was one of those things that the Losties on the fringe, no pun intended, thought was some major hint back in uh, in two thousand five. You know, how does Michael know about polar bears? What how what's his connection to the big plan? You know, sometimes a bear is just a bear. I think it was an example of the show being cute. Um, the scene ends, though, with Michael reaffirming his love for his son, something that we certainly have come to know, to understand, and to accept. Uh, and I, indeed, I mean, if you think back to the first couple episodes of the show, I mean, that love wasn't readily apparent. Michael was not a good parent. No, no pun intended there either. Um, but, you know, Michael certainly has come a long way as a father. Um, 
on the raft pontoon. Uh, Michael and Sawyer uh, awake to find that they're offshore of the island. Michael affirms that he loves his son on island and will do anything to get him back. Those are certainly, uh, you know, foretelling words, considering all the pain and hurt and indeed death that Michael will leave in order to make that come true, to get his son back. Uh, and of course, things start to wrap up with Sawyer noting that they are home. I'm going to get him back. I'm going to get back my son. At this point, there's just a quiet desperation as they walk onto the beach. Uh, their mission for the raft to, uh, to help have them find a way to, to their real homes it hasn't worked. Uh, they've, they've lost so much. They've lost Walt. And then they start to hear something. It, of course, is Jin appearing. He's tied up and he's beaten. There are many, many great cliffhangers to Lost, of course, but this is one of the best. I remember watching this episode with people, and some of us could hear Jin saying others before the rest did. But uh, then he just looks up clearly, he says it, and you see the dark shapes of crazies carrying weapons. And that image flashes across the screen. The director wisely doesn't let us see much of anything except for hulking, threatening forms. Then the episode just ends. And you might even notice there in the, in the clip the, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the wash of sound that, that Giacchino often uses to, uh, to end an episode. Uh, this one's e- even more frantic and even more panicky. I mean, it's just one of, the, one of the great just kind of panicked endings to the show. It's just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's what a, what a way to go out on. And it makes me wish all the more that this and the preceding episode uh, were a two-hour uh, episode. Now, it probably would have been somewhat frustrating to be seeing uh, to be seeing some of the Hatch stuff twice. You know, I mean, it, you couldn't just merely take these two episodes as we have them now and run them together as, as a double-length one. But what an ending. What an ending. Uh, so that, of course, ends the episode, but not the podcast. Let me now take a look at uh, Lostpedia to see any little bits and pieces that I've missed. Uh, and indeed, this is a long Lostpedia list today, so buckle in. Uh, the first bit is that uh, the mats on the carpet where Kate was kept, uh, I assume they mean the, um, you know, that kind of uh, food storage room, uh, they have octagonal holes like the Dharma logo. That's fun. Um, Lostpedia also mentions, as I did, that when Michael's talking to his lawyer initially, we get a very brief glimpse of the World Trade Center towers. Uh, but Lostpedia mentions that this was added in the second airing of the episode to establish the flashbacks time frame. So there you go. That's interesting because I'm certainly not aware of episodes 
that have, I mean, this is the first time I'm aware of an episode uh, whose content has changed between the, 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 the initial airing, the final, the, the, the final draft, so to speak, and then for future purposes. Um, I suppose, too, it's a bit of an acknowledgement of uh, the life that the show or, or that any show nowadays, you know, can can expect to have. You know, if it's successful, it's going to expect to have some sort of life on uh, on DVD, online, on Netflix streaming, etc. So uh, now here's the big interesting chunk that uh, Lostpedia has for this episode. Lostpedia says this episode was originally going to be a Sawyer flashback. Star Trek.com announced that Jolene Blaylock, who I think was on Enterprise, uh, had been cast and that some scenes were partially shot before being scrapped in favor of a Michael-centric episode. Lostpedia goes on to say it is unknown if filming was completed, but some, some pictures surfaced online in July 2008. One of them has Kevin Dunn, who played Gordy in what would be uh, the eventual Sawyer flashback episode in Season 2, The Long Con. Uh goes on to say, if you don't mind me reading to you, it goes on to say, in, inter- in an interview, Carlton Cuse explained why the Sawyer flashback was dropped from this episode. So here's the Cuse quote. This happens all the time in both film and TV. Scenes or storylines are shot that just don't work out as you hoped. We've been fortunate to have a really high success rate on Lost. In fact, it's the only time we've dumped an entire storyline. No fault of the actors, it just wasn't properly conceived. Uh, then Cuse goes on to explain it's not going to show up on the DVDs because unlike most deleted scenes, um, which just don't fit into a particular episode, this is a storyline that, quote, was not at the quality bar we have for the show. So, yikes. Uh, moving on to a couple other tidbits from Lostpedia. Um, Adewale, whose last name I won't uh, begin to attempt, but anyhow, Adewale makes his debut as Mr. Echo and he becomes a regular and everyone hates Hugo. This is rather, I mean, to think that he got paid for a guest star credit for this episode, and I, and, and perhaps he didn't. I mean, I don't particularly know the, you know, how, how they've uh, you know divvied up the finances and whatnot. Maybe he just received the credit and then the normal pay for the next episode. But let's not forget that he appears in about three seconds of this episode in a scene that continues in the next episode. But anyhow. Lospedia goes on to say, Bernard, Cindy, and Libby were portrayed by extras in the final scene when attacking the raft survivors. Uh, Lospedia wonders if this was done for budgetary reasons, so as not to pay the actors for a full episode, which, well, he just paid out a wallet for it, but anyhow. Uh, or because they hadn't cast uh, yet, in the case of Bernard and Libby. Um, and they, if you're so inclined, they then reference that you can, uh, there's a screenshot where you can see them as extras. Lostpedia also mentions that this is the first episode to not credit Malcolm David Kelly as Walt, although his name will be restored to the main cast for his guest appearances this season. And last but not least, Lostpedia has a factoid which is stupid. They say, several times a full moon is clearly seen in the visible night sky. It provides the light for Sawyer and Michael. Since this is day 44, it would make it November 5th, 2004. According to the U.S. Naval Observatory, on that date, the moon was in its last quarter phase, not a full moon. Now, to me, that's dumb, and I'll tell you why. Now, to be fair, let me read one more sentence from it. It says, though due to the time dilation effect of the island, this may not be an error. Guess what? Some wise guy put that clip there, or you know, put, put that fact there to be impressive or whatever. Let me tell you a little something about TV and movies. It's really boring if you have entire scenes in the pitch dark. 
it's really a waste of time if you pay your actors to be barely seen and pay your set people to build a raft that you can't see and pay your crew to go out 100 feet offshore and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So why is there a full moon? It's not because of the time the dilation effect on the island. It's because these are pretend people reading a script that was written in Los Angeles. And they're pretending to be these characters. And they're not really on a raft. They're on, you know, some carpenters and smart production people took bamboo and put it on top of a whole bunch of foam and then, you know, took a couple of boats out into the ocean a little bit and then used cameras to record these things. So, gee whiz, guys, that's why there's a full moon. So you can see your actors. Simple as that. It's This is a pretend TV show. It doesn't always, you know, I mean... It's a ridiculous, ridiculous attempt to, you know, have some sort of continuity error because, you know, there's light to see the actors. So, ending on that rather grumpy note, let's look ahead to next week where hopefully there are no grumpy-inducing factoids. Next week will be episode 203, Orientation, which I'm absolutely looking forward to. A reminder that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcast Network on Mondays. So as soon as you hop out of bed Monday morning, feel free to download the latest episode from wherever you are getting it. If you'd like to share feedback about this uh, particular podcast, about Lost in general, there are tons of ways to do it. You can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And you can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but certainly not least, you can find the show on iTunes where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very, very much for listening. It's uh, always such great fun to be getting back into podcast mode. Uh, I must say, uh, these last couple episodes have been done with some space between them uh, as it's been recorded in the summer months of 2011. But I'm Looking forward to getting back in the full swing of things. And uh, I will see all of you next week for 203 Orientation. Take care and bye-bye. You always try to be funny when you don't want to answer a question. Try to be funny.